Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortelinish podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, and I'm here today with my good friend and uh, writer of Breaking Lines, Jaime Silva. How are you doing today, Jaime? Everything's fine, Zach. Thank you for asking. It's a pleasure being here again, and let's talk about Portugal. Absolutely. Been a pretty jam-packed week in terms of action since the last podcast this past week. We've seen a few pretty impressive results. Sporting drawing another match to Belenenche Asad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen Benfica take an impressive 5-1 victory over Portimonense, as well as Porto getting a crucial 1-0 victory over Vitoria de Guimarães with a goal from Musa Marega. But all of those results of Sporting and Porto matches, they may not be as decisive now because of the events of the past few days. On Sunday, we saw Sporting hang on and take a one nothing victory despite playing with 10 men at Braga. Absolutely massive result we're going to talk about a lot. And yesterday, we saw Porto fall behind one nothing against Inch and getting a late equalizer via Meditaremi, almost had another goal. I think there was also some calls for a penalty with a, that foul on Francisco Conceição. A lot of calls, a lot of We'll get into that later. But how are you feeling about this title race? I mean, it really has exceeded our expectations. You know, I think not only living up to our expectations, but exceeding them. Just incredible. I agree. I think that the Portuguese championship is well disputed in all of the 18 teams. I think that a lot of competition between them uh, in the relegation on the champion to the Europe. I think the, that the championship is well disputed between the 18 teams. I think that uh, no game is, is win uh, before, you know. I think that uh, closed doors games help that. I think that Porto and Benfica, the, without them supporters, I think they lose a lot. It was a lot of advantage to the game. And you're right, Sporting is very good. They took a champion victory against Braga, a goal with a lot of struggle, with a lot of fights. I really think they deserve it. And I I think with the six points now, I think they will be champions. Absolutely. So five games left for each team, with the exception of Ferenc and Portimonense, who play tonight uh, after the Champions League game. And this is how the table currently looks. So Sporting with a six-point lead over Porto with 73 points. Uh, mm-hmm. Benfica, just four points behind Porto. So it looks like Porto, while they may not get the title, they pr- almost certainly won't at this point. They will mm-hmm. qualify to the group stage automatically. Benfica, on the other hand, looking like they'll have to go through the uh, third qualifying round to get into the Champions League. We've seen in recent years just how much of a stumbling block that can be for Portuguese teams, uh, you know, with you know Porto, Krasnodar, and other, so many other examples. Braga have five points behind Benfica. Pretty comfortable lead over Pasto Chifreira, mm-hmm. um, 13 points. So they are pretty much guaranteed to be playing Thursday night football uh, as usual this coming season. Uh, whereas Pasto Chifreira has more or less sealed Europa Conference League football. And mm-hmm. uh, Vitoria de Guimarães with a slim lead over Santa Clara and Morenich. Just two points. Uh, for the final Europa Conference League spot. So, you know, keep an eye for that one. That's one of the more underrated races. Tondela uh, and mm-hmm. Belenenche as well, even in the mix, uh, as well as uh, Portimonense, if, if they win against Farenche tonight. On the other hand, relegation playoff. So Boavista currently would be set to play the relegation playoff, right, with 28 points. Farenc can climb out of the relegation zone tonight with a win against Portimonense. They would, I believe, take Boavista's place in the relegation playoff spot, uh, whereas Nacional looking very much certain to go down at this point. So a lot of interesting races, even though the title race may have finished with the events over the past 48 hours. Let's talk about that Sporting Braga match, though, because that was certainly the main course of this weekend's Primera action, right? Mm -hmm. Sporting going down early on uh, via red card from Gonzalo Inacio. And it just looked like, 
I don't think I'm exaggerating when I'm stating that it was one-way traffic for Braga, right? They were just mm-hmm. much creating every single chance early on. It looked like almost certain that they were going to score. But somehow, someway, Sporting held on. Uh, what do you make of this performance from Sporting? I mean, it seemed like 29% possession for Sporting, okay? The league leaders, 29%. Mm-hmm. Five shots, one on target. 269 passes to 629, some just incredible statistics, right? What did you make of this performance from Sporting? In my opinion, Braga started very well in the game. They were controlling every moment of the game. They gave the ball to Sporting and and they succeeded at the pressure. I think that the pressure of Braga was incredible. I think that they blocked the vertical passes of the center backs. They blocked Pauline, they blocked Pedro Gonçalves. And I think they won in the first 20 minutes, six balls in the first pressure of the center backs. And that pressure dictated the red card to Inácio. I think that the Inácio's red card helped Sporting. In my opinion, of course, I think that Braga was surprised of the red card. I think Braga has difficulties with the low blocks. If you put your defense with two lines near the, the box, Braga has a lot of difficulties. And I think that was the key to the game. I think Sporting, it's way better with off the ball than with the ball, you know? Uh, And I think that was the key. The Inácio's red card, Sporting was in their perfect state without the ball. And I think that was, uh, like I said, uh, a victory of fights with a lot of struggle. Coates did a monumental game. Perinha, Fedal, Adam was incredible between the posts. And I think that Sporting was a champion's victory, like I said. They controlled Braga for 70 minutes, if I'm not wrong. And I think they deserve it. Uh, they really deserve it, and they really deserve the title. I think it's the best group. Ruben Amorim did a great job uniting that group. I think that uh, was the key. I think that Sporting never had it in the last seasons. It was the problem of Sporting always has been the unity of the group. And uh, Amorim did a great job there. The, the subs... Uh, celebrate like they're they're inside even the goalkeeper coach was suspended for sharing with the referee i think that uh, everyone wants to win in that group and i think that's uh, essential to the to the victory it very much was this right this victory of champions right a team that will do whatever it takes to win Mm -hmm. i want to touch up a little bit though on gonzalo Inacio because I think that I'm not so sure he deserved a second yellow that early in the game, you know, in 18 minutes. I think that was just his second foul of mm-hmm. you know, his third. But but overall, I felt that a warning would have been more sufficient. But obviously, they ended up not needing it. But um, I do think that playing a left-footed center back on the right side of back three in general, it's worked well for Sporting, right, with Gonzalo Inacio uh, mm-hmm. doing quite well. I think that we saw in that game against Vitoria de Guimaraes uh, just how much more effective he can be as that middle center back, right, when playing in, in Sebastian Quatz's place. Do you think that the right center back is an area that Sporting will need to reinforce in the summer, or do you feel like Inacio is, deserves his chance to start on the right? Or do you think that maybe they should go find someone at that right center back position and maybe have Inacio slotted into the left and competing uh, with Zohair Fedal? In my opinion, that's the main position to Sporting to fulfill next season. I think that uh, Inacio has a lot of difficulties playing there. It's normal. Uh, is with the rotation of the body, it's very difficult to play there with left foot. Uh, and I think that's the main position to Sporting to fulfill. Sporting has good uh, options in Portugal, but I think they will go abroad to sign a, a centre-back. But I think that uh, in Liga Noz, they have several players who could fulfill that position. A player like Eder Militao, obviously off the market, but he would just be perfect for that role. I wonder if they try to you know work their magic in Brazil again and find a Militao-esque player. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens because, you know, Inacio, as good as he's been, he had a lot of problems going up against uh, Wenderson Galeno uh, early on. And it was a little surprise to see him sent off because he was really just not dealing with uh, them at all whatsoever. 
you know, Braga had the majority of attacks in this one. They had, right, I, I believe it was 17 shots and just four shots on target from those. Uh, whereas Sporting, five shots, one shot on target. And, of course, the only goal in the match. You know, Braga, very impressive performance, even without Almushrati, who I believe mm-hmm. was benched because of Ramadan, uh, yes. came off the bench right at the second half. But very impressive performance. But once again, and we've seen this so many times with Braga, they just can't seem to find a way to finish this game off, right? So much talent in the attack. Ricardo Horta, Nicolas Caetan, Abel Ruiz but really just lacking that that finishing touch in the final third. And I think that, you know, if Sporting need to find somebody to reinforce that the uh, right side of defense, you know, um, some people may disagree with that as, as far as Sporting's number one transfer priority. But I think that Braga, their number one priority this summer, has to be finding some additional quality just some additional finishing power in the final third because it's it's easy to say, oh, Paulinho with with the season he's having at at Sporting, maybe they don't miss him too much, but I think they do miss him. I think that they'd miss Paulinho and Francisco Trincao in terms Mm -hmm. of their additional ability to create and finish goal-scoring situations. If you were Braga, who would you be looking for uh, this summer to reinforce the team and to narrow the gap between you and the big three. I, I agree with you with, with Paulinho. I think Paulinho was the best player of Braga till he signed to, with Sporting, I think. Too. He was the more, I would say, influent player. I, I don't know if the term is correct, but I think that he was the more influent player on Braga. The, his back play, back to the goal, he associated well with the Piscali. And uh, in the last third, uh, it was difficult to, to not score in front of the goal. And I think uh, Abel Ruiz and Sporare have a lot of difficulties there. Uh, Braga has a lot of options in Portugal. Braga have Mario Gonzalez, Beto, even uh, Rodrigo Pinho, if he hasn't signed for Benfica yet. But I think Beto and Mario Gonzalez. Mario Gonzalez, I prefer uh, personally. I think that Mario Gonzalez is one of the best strikers in Portugal. I think he's the most complete striker in Portugal. Uh, he has everything. I think that he's very underrated. I think he's complete, and I think that uh, he will fit in every club in Portugal. And I think that it will be a great signing for Braga. And Braga has Ryan Gold too. It's not a striker, but it's a player that can play behind the striker and scores a lot of goals and gives a lot of goals. I think Braga should look to the national market and try to sign the players that the, the top three doesn't want, you know, like Gold, like Vet, like Mario Gonzalez. They have a lot of players in Portugal that would fit in Braga and would help to pass the difficulties that they have. Mario Gonzalez or Beto both would be very interesting options because I think... I'm not convinced they take up their purchase option on Andres Porar, Abel Ruiz. Interesting prospect, but not really doing enough in terms of getting that goal. You see all that, not just with Braga, but with Spain's U21s. You know, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Let's talk about Paulinho for a second. So Paulinho, since joining from Braga in, in the January transfer window, uh, you know, joined for 16 million euros, Sporar going the other way on loan, Christian Borja, uh, joining Braga on a free transfer. So it said it was 16 million, but it was, you know, a bit more considering the added costs, right, of those that were let in for free, right, like Sporar and Borja. But very ineffective performance going back to his old stomping grounds at Braga and coming off at halftime for Mateus Nunes, who we'll talk about in a bit. But, you know, Paulinho... He had some injury issues that I think prevented him from having a seamless transition. But really, he's been fit the past few weeks. And apart from that match against Warner Ranch, the the 1-1 draw, he really has been disappointing. I think it's too early to call him a flop, right? But right Mm -hmm. now, for the money, for what, a 28, 29-year-old, really not that convincing. What do you think it is that has prevented Paulinho from really, you know, impressing in, in Sporting? Uh, like you said, it was a lot of money, 16 million more for our 
and more Borg and the sport alone, I think it's a lot of money to the, for the player that has already 30 years, if I'm not wrong. Uh, but uh, like you said, he had uh, injuries problems. And I think that uh, he came to Sporting in a phase that Sporting went down offensively. You know, uh, Sporting till January was competent offensively, but not that spectacular. But between January and now, I think Sporting went down a lot. They have difficulties to create chances. And I think Paulinho needs the team to play good, you know. If the team doesn't play well, if the team doesn't has facility to create chances, I think that Paulinho isn't very influent. I think he needs the team with him. I think he needs the Pedro Gonçalves, Nuno Santos, uh, form or even Tiago Tomas with the best form the timing of the signing wasn't the best for him because he he caught the team in the worst moment offensively he by himself doesn't uh, create chances you know he isn't a John as a, a player that uh, out of nothing can create a chance of goal and I think you really need his colleagues in the best form and, the, and I think that he has that you will need that next season to justify the money that that Sporting paid for him yeah, I'm I'm just really not convinced so far. It's I mean, it's clear that Braga are missing him, but I do think that, you know, with a player who went for sixteen million and more, and a player who Huben Labarim clearly picked, right? He had success with at Braga and wants this signing to work out. Sometimes you can just be kind of trying to shoehorn a player in just because you feel so much pressure because of the price tag. I feel like that's what's happening right now. Anyways, getting to this Saturday match, Sporting play Nacional at home. In theory, the easiest match possible, right? Because Nacional are bottom of the league. They are playing at home. But we just saw Nacional take a one nothing victory against Vitoria de Guimaraes yesterday. Um, so maybe not too easy. It still, I think, gives Amorim... Um, enough leverage, enough uh, creative leeway to experiment with a few things, right? It's not like you're facing a Braga or a Benfica. If you were Amorim, obviously Gonzalo Inacio suspended, what do you think your team would be going into this match against Nacional? First, I would advise Sporting to be careful in Nacional. Like I said before, no game is won before starting. This year, it's impossible to guarantee that you're, you're going to win. And even as you know, as good chances to get out of Alvalade eight points. The lineup that I would start, I would start with Luis Net on Inacio's place. I would start with Luis Maximian on Alan's place. And Diakmas doesn't play, but I think that uh, I don't see Diakmas as a as a starter in Sporting. I think that Sporting has another players that uh, could play. They have Santos. He's a, a really vertical player. He always plays up front. He always looks to the goal and tries to score and create chances. Crosses. It's, it's the kind of player you want playing if you want to score goals. And I think that uh, Santos would be my my starter in that position with Paulinho and Pedro Gonçalves. Interesting. Yeah, the Paulinho thing. Obviously, he'll get another season. Prove his worth. You know, full preseason as well. But. Um... It's it's not looking good right now, but we'll, we'll mm-hmm. see what happens. One player, though, I want to touch up on because he's just had a phenomenal season. I think he might be the favorite to win the Primera player of the season because he was just absolutely massive against Braga. And that is uh, Sebastian Coates. Fantastic performance, especially after the red card. Just how good has Coates been? I mean, when... When was the last time you saw a center back who's been this decisive and this consistent in in any Portuguese season? I think that the Coates season is historical, not just in Sporting, but in Portugal, like you said. It was the best player of the league, the best player of Sporting by far. I say it by far. Defensively, he's imperial. It's an expression we use in, in Portugal. He's a leader. It's not just uh, mentally. It's uh, with quality as well. He, he's very good in disarm. He's very good in interceptions. Reading the game. On aerial duels. He was good at everything this season. I think that he hasn't committed an error that lead it to a goal. And the last season, he, he did it. Game yes, game no. Uh and I think that this season was historical. It was imperial the whole season, scoring goals in late minutes, uh, protecting the Adam's goal. And he was the best friend of Adam's this year. Uh, if Adam did it to, to not suffer goals this season, he can, thanks to Coates, it's been 
very good. I don't I don't have words this season, and it's very very good to watch him play. I think that uh, every sporting fan has to be proud of him. He's a, a real captain, a captain that uh, any supporter wants to have on his team. Absolutely fantastic performance from the Uruguayan today. Uh, Uruguayan against Braga, but I think without a doubt the best player on the pitch was Antonio Adam. 33 years old, you know, was the backup for the past two years, I believe, uh, with with Jean Oblak at Atletico Madrid. Spent some time at, at Betis, where he was the starter. But, you know, both at Real Madrid and Atletico, pretty much the backup. But now, 33 could potentially seal his legacy as a legendary performer in the year that Sporting ended their title drought with an absolutely historic performance and just monumental performance against Braga. How good has this man been in goal for Sporting? I mean, I think that goalkeeper, it's one of the toughest. I think that it has probably the most depth in in any position in Portugal. We've seen that with just so many players. Uh, But I think that that performance, it may have sealed Adan's place in my uh, team of the season, shall we say. Uh, just a fantastic performance. He was no doubt the, the goalkeeper of the season. The signings that Sporting made that brought, he was the best, even better than than Poch. Most important of all, then giving, then being good at defending, good at uh, getting off the out the goal. I think that he gives security to the team, the center backs, the full backs. They they feel secure with him in the goal. And I think that's the most important thing that a goalkeeper can give. You have Courtois, that is a great goalkeeper. Uh, you have Ederson, but those those goalkeepers don't give the security to the, to the team. They commit errors. They are insecure with the ball in case of Courtois. And I think that Adam is, even when it commits errors, he, he gives security to the team. He's a leader like Oates and then pushes them to be better. And I think that's, that's essential with his age and with the the youngster players at Sporting have. It gives them a lot of security. And I think that was the key to Adam's success this year. I want to ask you, do you think that uh, goalkeeper is the strongest position in Liga Noche? I mean, if you had to take up, take a list of right, the best right backs, the best center backs, the best, you know, strikers, uh, left wingers, so on and so on. Do you think that goalkeeper would come up number one? I mean, just because there is so much really strength and depth when you look across the league. Huav, Powell, uh, Kiesek. We saw yesterday, right, with uh, Morenche goalkeeper Mateus Pasinato with a fantastic mm-hmm. performance against Porto. Pedro Trigueira in goal for Tondela, also having a very good season. Really just so much quality over overall. I mean, Stanislav Krusiuk uh, for Belenich, another player. Uh, do you think that goalkeeper is the strongest position in terms of depth? In the Janos? I would say yes. Like you said, you have Pazinat, you have Krikchuk, you have Dennis from Juvicento. I, I think that is a good a good goalkeeper. You have Trigueira from Tondela, you have Bruno Varela from Guimarães, you have Marchezinho, you have Elton Light. Vlaco Dings is even a sub for Benfica with the, the quality that he has. You have great great goalkeepers like Ezek, like you said. Nacional, I think that is the the worst. I don't I didn't want to say the word, but the worst goalkeeper in, in the league. But I think without Nacional, I think that the 17 teams has the, a good goalkeeper, a very good goalkeeper. And I think, yes, I think that's the the position with the with the most quality of the league enough. Absolutely. Sorry, sorry if to interrupt. You have Amir too from Maritimo. I think he's one of the best of Portugal. I really like him. So, you know, going back, just one, just I want to touch up on this uh, one last time before we move on to other games and talk about one player. Mateus Nunes came on for Paulinho at, at halftime and he ended up scoring the winning goal. It was... I think I, I'm not going to say it was misleading, right? Because it's clearly Mateus has a a knack for scoring these massive kinds of goals, right? We've seen that, right, with against Braga, against Benfica, and Braga again, right? So clearly has a knack for pulling out these massive goals. But just that interesting stat from goal point 
in the 45 minutes that he was on the pitch, Nunez touched the ball 13 times and lost possession in 11 of those. And yet, he still ended up finding a way to score uh, the winner against Braga and pretty much seal, I don't want to say seal because there's still five games left, but give Sporting the most comfortable lead that they have had, I think arguably in this entire season. I mean, six points clear with five games left. And really, I think apart from the match against Benfica, which is on the penultimate uh, match day, it's somewhat smooth sailing when you look at the schedule. But let's talk about Mateus Nunes. What do you make of him as a player? How high do you rate his potential as a midfielder? I think Matheus is not a genius. Like everyone sees, but he gives everything when he plays. He's explosive. He's not afraid of having the ball. Even if he, it's not perfect with, with the ball, he doesn't have that afraid. He doesn't shake. He likes to have the ball. He is confident. He, want, he wants to play every time he plays. He, he plays with will, with, with struggle. Mentally, it seems like a very good player. And like you said, he appears in important games. He scored against Benfica. He scored now against Braga and almost scored against Porto in Drago. He gave a, a run of 30 meters, more or less, and he almost scored. Uh, like I said, he's not a genius, but I think he's a very important player to have on the squad, on every squad of the top three clubs, and uh, mostly on the, the most important games. I think he's very important to, to secure the team when you're winning and uh, even put him when you're losing that he can do a lot of positions too like full back like a eight, like a six even as a winger due to his explosive uh, as his potential I think that uh, I don't see him passing the sporting level but I think he's the right player to make a career in sporting and become one of the captains yeah absolutely but overall fantastic result for sporting, a result that was made even better by the result of yesterday. Morenic getting a draw against Porto at Morera Giconego. So just a few minutes away from Braga Stadium, right? Nahuel Ferraresi, Venezuelan defender, putting um, Morenic ahead uh, early on. And Porto, you know, trying to climb their way back. They did equalize uh, via a penalty. Surprise, surprise, via Meditaremi. And also, you know, getting very close to a go-ahead goal, um, but couldn't manage that. One of the most incredible statistics to me in this Liga Noche season is Porto have scored the most goals in Liga Noche with 58. That's two more than Benfica's and six more than Sporting's. And honestly, you know, looking at their performance yesterday against Modern Inch, I'm aware that they didn't have Zaidu, Sanusi. I, I don't think he would have made that much of a difference. But this is a Porto team that has severe difficulties in just creating goal-scoring opportunities. That sounds weird to say when they have scored the most goals in the league, but when you watch them on the pitch... Right against teams that have, you know, maybe a th- a fifth of the budget of Porto. It's very, I would say, the word is bizarre. You know, the fact that Porto they can go and play Juventus and off the pitch and and still struggle to create chances against these teams because because you know whatever you think about the controversial call on Conceição or uh, later on, I think that. I, I personally, I think that a 1-1 draw was a deserved result for both teams. I just do think that something will need to change with Porto this summer. Is it going to be Conceição? I, I don't know. There's a possibility that he leaves. But overall, this is a team that throughout the season has struggled to really create, especially against teams that sit back deep uh, against Inch, which you know is the majority of teams that are going to be facing Porto. What do you make of Porto's, you know, structural issues in terms of, you know, creating attacking opportunities? 
I think Porto doesn't feel comfortable with the ball, you know. They feel more comfortable without the ball, betting on transitions, betting on set pieces. Since Conceição arrived at Portugal, I think Porto uh, has been very poor in um, offensive organization. Like you said, they have difficulties creating against low blocks. The difficulties increase when they're playing in, um, like uh, in smaller fields. I think like the Mourinho's field, I think that the in that kind of field they have a lot of difficulties. They can explore the, the defensive back, they can explore long balls, and I think that increases the their difficulties, and that's why they have a lot of difficulties in Mourinho's. With Conceição, they, they lost a lot of points there because it's a very small field and they can't play the game that they use. They used to play in Dragon. For example, long balls, a lot of crosses, a lot of one one against one by the wingers, by Corona, Luis Diaz, Otavio, and that was the key. Brilliant played with a with a very low block. On the defensive line were was always near the box, and uh, when you do that, you you almost neutralize the all of the game of Porto, but Porto, uh, I think that what can explain the, the quantity of goals, I think that Porto believes till the end. We have several of games like Sporting, Porto scores a lot of goals in the last minutes. And that's very important. In the um, in comportamental manners, Porto is, is great. And I think that uh, is the best legacy of Conceição in Porto. Even when they lose, the, the group is always very united and fight all together and believe it till the till the end of the game. And they almost score a goal in the end. And that's that's the key to to Porto's best attacking league enough. Absolutely. There are a few Porto players I want to touch up on, uh, but I think I want to talk about some modern age players because they're having a very underrated season. Uh, as usual, you know, challenging for European football. And, you know, a lot of players, uh, such as Fascinato, um, we've talked about having impressive performances. Two players really stood out to me. Uh, Philippe Suarez, a player we've talked about a lot on the show, um, as well as Abdu Conte. So uh, Philippe Suarez, you know, formed in Benfica Seychelles Academy, going to Inch. Bit of the same story with Abdu Conte, who... Born in Guinea-Bissau, joined Sporting's Academy at a young age, didn't get much in the way of opportunities now, having a very impressive season at Modern Age. Talk to me about these two players. Uh, how good do you think that both of them can be? Ponte, just 23 years old. Philippe Suarez, uh, 21. Uh, I thought Suarez, you know, he, he's always fun to watch. There was one, just throughout the match, you know, he would just pull off these incredible dribbles and really launching one inch's attack. There was one, you know, I know Porto fans complaining about the Conceição foul, which you know, we'll get into in a bit, and it wasn't pretty, but uh, there was a, a, a play in the game yesterday where uh, Suarez pretty much dribbled quite a few mm-hmm. yards and then got like tackled right outside of the area. By, I think it was Mateus Uribe. He got a yellow, but it could have been worse, uh, shall we say. So it was just a really impressive performance from both those players. Uh, talk to me about Felipe and Conte, right? How, how good are they? How high do you think their potential is? Felipe, I think it's a player who next season on the top three. I don't know if he stays in Portugal, but uh, someone told me that Sevilla is interested in him. I don't think, I don't know if it's true or not, but I believe it. <laughs> I think Felipe Suarez has qualities to play in Sevilla and the Benfica Sporting Porto. Uh, Benfica most definitely have uh, a revived clause because Felipe played at Benfica Academy. He's definitely a player for that uh, for that flight. Abdu Conte. I think he's a good player, mostly offensive, a player who crosses very well, associates well with a winger and with a midfielder. I think that uh, is a player to play at uh, Braga or Kimberg level. He will take that leap next year. And I would like to approach to Fabio Pacheco from Reigns. He's a very good player. He recovers a lot of balls. He knows how, how to position in, in the game. He's a very intelligent player. I think he's one of the best players 
playing outside the, the four top clubs these are very underrated in my opinion you will play at a Braga level uh, no doubt about that uh, I really like him I think that's a player you you need to watch and, and see if you agree with me but I, I like him a lot so moving back to uh, Porto game one I think positive maybe a positive I'm not sure uh, that can be taken from this game from Porto's perspective is Tony Martinez. You know, Tony, Spanish striker, joined Tamalikau from West Ham, had a great season there, and went to Porto. Hasn't had quite the same success as Meritaremi, who also joined from Huav, the team that stole uh, the final Europa spot on the final day from Tamalikau, Martinez's old club. But... Came off the bench for Marega and equalized. I believe he won the penalty uh, for Taremi's goal and nearly uh, scored another. But I think it was called off due to VAR. But overall, I think some very promising signs from Martinez's performance yesterday against Inch. And we've talked about this a bit on the show, right? Marega, Musa Marega's contract situation. So this deal expires this summer. And obviously, Porto, they know the pain that can come from losing an important player on a free transfer, such as Hector Herrera or Yassin Brahimi. But mm-hmm. got to say, I think Marega, 30 years old now, and he did just score and end its 50-day uh, goal drought against Vitoria de Gimenez. But overall, I think that Porto might be better off just letting Marega leave on a free transfer, bringing in maybe another player to compete at the strength position. Maybe not, you know, but because I think that Martinez and Evan Nielsen are both uh, good enough to challenge for a starting spot alongside Taremi, hopefully mm-hmm. these days as well. But how good do you think Martinez is as a striker? Do you think he has what it takes to to take Marega's place in the lineup, assuming that Ponsesal sticks with the 4-4-2. Do you think he's deserving of more chances in this Porto team? First of all, I consider Marega as a Conceição stubbornness. <laughs> I, I think it is Marega very much Conceição stubbornness, right? <laughs> it's that kind of player that... Uh, must, but uh, it's not just Conceição. Most of the coaches have that one player that no one understands why he plays, but he plays and he plays always. I think that... Uh, Conceição acknowledges that uh, has better options, but uh, he continues to play. I think that Martinez is the best striker of Porto inside the box. He scores almost every chance that he gets. He is very comparable with uh, Taremi. You can put Taremi associating with a team that he does that well, uh, playing with, with his back to the goal. I think that he associates well with the, with his colleagues. Tony Martinez could do a job in the box, just scoring goals, with Taremi playing nearly beside him. And I think that he, those two are very comparable, and they should play the two in the lineup and in a 4-4-2. Uh, but I think Marek is not the worst player. He's, he has qualities, but I don't think that that's the player that Porto needs right now even if Porto wants to secure the second place. Yeah, I think that Martinez should be given uh, the start in going into the next match against Malikau. Always nice to see a player face their former club. And I think that Marega, I think that Porto should not be opposed to letting him leave on a free transfer. Do you think that it was that Porto deserved more from this match? I know there were some controversial calls uh, in the final minutes. Do you think Porto deserved a victory here? Uh, I forgot to say before that uh, I think that Veto, Veto is the perfect player to Conceição. If Conceição is going to stay, he's the perfect player to replace Marega. He's a lot uh, alike like Marega, but on technical manners, it's better than Marega. And I think that will be the perfect fit going to the Mourinho's game. I think Porto deserved the win. Of course, Mourinho's did a Great game against one of the best teams in Portugal. But I think that Porto suffocated the Meridians in the last minute. They created a lot of chances. Taremi missed uh, two great chances, I think. Marega almost scored. The, the ball went to the post two times, I think. And uh, I think they, do, they deserve the win in the last minutes. But the first half, Meridians were superior to Porto. Uh, one last thing that I want to touch up on from this game happened after the final whistle. It was an agent 
by the name mm-hmm. of Pedro Pino, Pedro being the son of ex-QA president Jose Maria Pino. He assaulted a TVI reporter after the game. And I'm not sure if physical assault is precedented, but uh, we have seen this season how verbal assault and mm-hmm. just in general anti-journalist fervor in Portugal, especially in Porto's side. This has been something that, let's just say it's not a one-off, okay? So mm-hmm. it was, you know, a pretty shameful scene, right? To see mm-hmm. this reporter being, you know, assaulted by Pedro Pino, who actually had worked, I believe, had formed a relationship with Alexander Pinto da Costa, uh, the son of mm-hmm. the president of Porto, right? And, uh, had worked in you know getting moving and and selling players back and forth from Porto you know earning a lot in the way of commissions but you know nothing nothing wrong with that um of course they they did stop that relationship but i think that this event right with the assault on the tvi reporter it's just one of the things where that's really preventing the portuguese league from mm-hmm. becoming a major league. I know that, you know, people are going to be ragging on the Bundesliga this week because of Julian Nagelsmann going to Bayern, but that's still a professional relationship. Say what you will. That is very, at the very least professional. This isn't professional, right? And we've seen mm-hmm. it so many times in Portugal, right? Be it verbal or physical assault of journalists. It seems like there's really much this, so much tribalism in Portugal, and not just between journalists, but also just in general, the big clubs always complaining and crying that the referees are going against them. You know, Francisco Marquez, the press director of Porto, literally after every single bad result that goes against Porto, you are going to see Francisco, you know, complaining and tweeting out a video mm-hmm. of some controversial play as if Felipe Suarez or, or another modern edge player could have, could have, you know, easily had the same thing just mm-hmm. a few minutes ago. So completely painting a biased picture. And um, I think that it's not just that. I mean, you, you see that so many times I've seen it with Alexandra Carvajal, right? The communications director of Braga, really just so much complaining, mm-hmm. so much, Oh, poor me, you know, everybody's going against me. I'm the most unlucky person in the world. Please stop your crying. Porto did not deserve to win yesterday, okay? Porto do not deserve to win this league title. And guess what? Maybe if you spent less time crying on the internet and accusing referees and journalists of going against you, and more time researching good players, less time finding players from your favorite agent and paying a million in commissions or whatever, maybe your team would be better. I don't know. But, you know, in general, I just think that Portugal lives in this sort of dangerous cycle, shall we say. I think that this, uh, I guess I would call it maybe paranoia. Maybe not paranoia, but I really don't know how to put it. But do you think that this, I guess, lack of professionalism is preventing uh, Liga Noche from becoming a, a top league? I totally agree with everything you said. But the worst thing is that this isn't new. Porto does it uh, for years. Uh, in the famous 90s, it was very worse than now. And I think that Porto, as much as European games they win, they always be famous for this and uh, even here Chelsea complained about the the Porto way of playing and uh, the the way of being on the bench they they complained a lot and even the referees on Champions League and I think Porto will always be famous by by this even as much as games they in in Europe they win or they won they always be famous like this is it's a shame but they do it for themselves I think that uh, the referee complaining it's not just Porto it's all of them all of them Benfica Porto Sporting Braga every time they don't win the game in Portugal it's always the referees blame you refer the, very well the the part of the communications director have in that problem 
and I think they they must be punished in somehow. I think they 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 say what they want. They protect themselves in Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I think that uh, the abusive things that people say on the internet has to stop in somehow. And I really think that uh, this persecution to to referees has to stop in the. Uh, as you said, I I agree that this is stopping from Portugal to be a knowledge abroad in other countries. I think that uh, no English people, no American people wants to look right in sport and see because it's almost uh, assaulting the referee. I think that it's not it's not good for the for the game. No no sporter wants to see that. No, totally agree with you in that part. Yeah, absolutely. You know, anyways, uh, Porto looking more and more likely that they will not go back to back and win the league title. Let's move on though to the Benfica match because Benfica just a few days after taking a 5-1 victory against Portimonense going in and taking on Santa Clara at home and pulling off a 2-1 victory, it wasn't pretty shall we say. It wasn't encouraging, I think, the performance. But I do think that Hilton Late is one player who can, mm-hmm. you know, hold his head up high, who, you know, has done well since winning the starting job between the sticks ahead of Odysseus of Lashodimos. I would also say that Diogo Gonçalves, player who has also kind of broken into the team after two straight loan spells we talked about a lot, I thought did quite well going forward. You know, impressive. Not many other players who I would say deserve much of a shout out. You know, it was a solid victory, but I want to get your thoughts on, mm-hmm. on this performance from Benfica. What do you think are the positive signs and what do you think they need to take away and improve on from this match? Zach, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I, I know that you want to approach only the what uh, what's going on inside the field, but I think Benfica's problem is outside the field. I say this a lot. I say this every time I spoke about Benfica, but I think that's the problem. I think that's, that's something wrong. And even you that that sees from outside, you can understand that there's something going to do with the, with the team, with the way that the team is preparing this, the games and the way that, that the team approaches the games. I don't think that's normal. Benfica wins a game for six, five goals and plays well, plays with uh, with joy, with, uh, with quality. The whole team, the subs that come in, it was like this in Braga, it was like this in Paz Ferreira, it was like this in the second half of Portimonense. And after that, they will go to the next game and they do uh, the worst uh, against Santa Clara. I only saw the game this morning and I think that was the worst games I've seen of Benfica in the last years. I think there's something wrong with the team. I don't think that's normal. The approach of the of the team is awful, not the, not just tactical. I think that the, the real problem is is mentally. I think that the team, something's going on. And, and I, I would like to, to know what it is, but I think I don't think that's normal. Even if you go to individual analysis, you go to Seferovic. If you look at the statistics of Seferovic in 14 minutes, he did a great game. He has a, a good uh, evaluation. And you go to this game and uh, if he misses two, two big chances in front of a goal. And I think that uh, Seferovic is the the reflex of of Benfica season. The instability and the uh, change game by game, I think that uh, that is the reflex of Benfica season. I think that uh, Santa Clara did a good game. Uh, you can take the merit out of Santa Clara, but I think that Benfica, something's going on with that team since Bruno Lodge, and uh, I think that uh, there's no salvation to this season. They um, they can only secure the third spot and win the, the cup, but I think that the season is uh, is the biggest failure of Benfica in, in this century. It is a pretty big failure, uh, I must say. But move on to the talent of the week section. Who's your talent of the week for us? I've got to say Seba Kovacic. I don't know if you want to, if you want it, the youngster. No, no, no. You can no. you can go with okay. Kovacic. He's arguably, yeah. he's probably one of the best players of the championship. So I'll make an exception for Kovacic. <laughs> I think he's consensual. Did the... the the best game of the of the weekend. I think it was, it was the best player in a lot about that. And I think that's the one of the best seasons I've seen of a, of a player in Liga Nosh. It was the most important player of sporting this season and this this talent of the week. I'm gonna go with player we've talked a lot about on the Cortalina show, 
Uh, I'm going to go with Beto. So mm-hmm. Beto, just an incredible rise for him over the past few years, past few weeks, really. I mean, we're playing in the third division or what was it? The amateur division, I think. Just, mm-hmm. uh, just what? Semi, semi amateur, Right. Thank you. Just two years ago, I believe. And now I'm not sure how many consecutive games he scored in. Uh, he scored in the 5-1 defeat uh, to Benfica. He just can't seem to stop scoring. Um, a player who I think Porto would make sense, given their recent history with Porto Monenche. Mm-hmm. But I think that man, Braga, that would be a dream move for Braga. I think, really, I'm not sure. I think apart from maybe Benfica, I think that all of Portugal's big clubs should be looking at him, uh, as well as teams abroad. I think that Sporting, you know, unless Paulinho can se- severely improve, I would not be opposed to looking at going going after a striker this summer, right? I think that Beto would definitely provide certain things that, that Paulinho is incapable of right now. And I think that he's really the perfect striker for, for a club that's wanting to, at least an emergency option to play direct, you know, mm-hmm. and, and get out of the pressure in that respect i think he reminds me a lot of erling holland obviously not even close to holland's Mm -hmm. but in terms of i guess players in portugal i think you could argue that he's you know the portuguese holland right now just having an incredible season and right after the champions league game he's going to be in action against farench um farench you know trying to hang on for dear life and and climb out of the relegation zone not really that, that that they have left to play for. I think that they're pretty far away from getting that final European spot. But Beto has a lot to play for in terms of raising his stock. Talk to me about Beto. Just how, just, uh, you know, what do you think his potential is? I think Beto is a very good player. I think that he has qualities very rare in the nowadays football I think there there isn't a lot of strikers like him and like Dyrin I think he's uh, like like Dyrin the explosive the the intelligence of uh, exploring the space is is and he he has something very good that uh, um, few people speak about that is very intelligent on the timing of the um, of his run, I think he hasn't a lot of offsides, and I think that it's very intelligent exploring the spaces in that timing. But when when a player plays in a team like Portimonios, you have to do that projection to a biggest club, to, to a bigger club. And uh, doing that projection with Beto, I'm afraid that uh, his weaknesses with his feet, I don't, I don't see him playing in the club that plays every game against low blocks like Mifika and Porto and Sporting. Uh, I think he's a, he has a lot of qualities, but playing against low blocks, I, I see, I'm afraid that his weakness will show a lot, but I see him a lot to Premier League. I think that Premier League was, uh, is, is the, the perfect league for him. I think the way of playing, there are a lot of space, the few, few teams who uh, defend the whole game, and that happens a lot in Portugal. And uh, I think in a, in the Premier League, I think you, you'll have more space, and the style of game of the teams is perfect for him. If I was a scout for a Premier League club, I, I would definitely try to sign that up. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much, Jaime, for coming on the show. Thank you to everybody for listening uh, once again to the Cortalinas podcast. Uh, Make sure to like and subscribe and uh, give us a review on Apple, Spotify, whatever platform you are listening to this at. And once again, thank you so much, Jaime. It has been a pleasure as usual. You're, You're welcome. It's always a pleasure. Um abraço.